This is Risky Women Radio, a show to connect, celebrate and champion women in risk, regulation and compliance, sharing insight and perspective from the most influential members of our global Risky Women Network on the latest developments we need to think about, the challenges we should all talk more about and the innovation we are most excited about in governance, risk and compliance. Bringing together the hundreds of senior women professionals already connected with a new emerging group of leading women and men. I'm Kimberly Cole, your Chief Risky Woman. Welcome to Risky Women Radio. Today we have Sharon Consism from the Australian Securities and Investment Commission. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you. It's a fantastic series that we have at the moment with our Risky Women regulators, so welcome to that. Uh, Senior Executive Leader of Market Enforcement is Sharon's title. She is responsible for ASIC's Markets Enforcement Team. Uh, Sharon is responsible for the carriage of a number of ASIC's significant market misconduct investigations and litigations, so I look forward to hearing about those today. Sharon has significant regulatory experience working in financial markets, including in the Asian market. And prior to joining ASIC, Sharon was legal counsel at the Australian Securities Exchange, and she's also held senior positions at the Malaysian Bourse. So welcome, Sharon, and why don't we kick off by you telling us about your career journey? Okay, well, I started um, as a lawyer uh, in the early 1990s, and that's some time back, (laughs) Um, and I started with a career at the bar. So I was a barrister for a few years, doing essentially criminal and civil litigation for about five years. And then I thought I had enough of litigation on the ground and thought I needed a bit more of a balanced sort of lifestyle and decided to go corporate um, and join the, uh, what was then known as the Kuala Lumpur Stock Exchange, which is now um, called the Bursa Saham, uh, that is in Malaysia. Um, but when I joined the um, Kuala Lumpur Stock Exchange, it was the onset of the Asian economic crisis. Uh, So I didn't get the career lifestyle balance I wanted, uh, which was great because I learned a lot in that journey about dealing with excesses of uh, an economic crisis from the perspective of a regulator regulating financial markets. Um, After that, I returned to Australia and started with ASIC um, as a junior lawyer again, and then left ASIC and went to the ASIC as legal counsel and then returned back to ASIC and as you know, I currently am the head of markets enforcement. So um, I've had sort of um, a balance of corporate um, and regulatory experience in my career journey. Interesting. So you you were educated in Australia and then went offshore to Malaysia. That's right. So would you recommend sort of an overseas assignment and what do you think that sort of gives you from a career perspective? I would definitely recommend an overseas experience, particularly in the context of the current environment where we are effectively operating in the context of a borderless society. Increasingly, the type of regulatory work we do is one not peculiar to us, uh, or the problems that we face is not peculiar to a geography. So any um, cross-border experience is invaluable uh, to the work we do, and particularly in the 
context of upskilling in skills and experience, and also in understanding, importantly, the cultural nuances of various jurisdictions. That's, that's really interesting. And um, I'm sure as we sort of go through your role and the function, it'll yep. be interesting to talk more about that borderless society and, yep. and even what you learn from all of the you know, global challenges and, the, and what, what's happening globally. Mm -hmm. um, very interesting. So, I mean, thinking about your career, you've had a, an interesting journey from lawyer, barrister, um, and then through uh, ASX and ASIC. What have, what have been the career highlights for you so far? Um, I could sort of explain my career highlights in terms of successful outcomes, court or regulatory. And, and there has been many throughout my career. I mean, the most recent would be the ASIC successful um, contested litigation against Westpac, one of the major banks in Australia for conduct akin to LIBOR. But I think that the best highlights of my careers actually has been where I took action on my career to pursue growth. So I rather sort of actually looking back, I think reflecting, the best career highlights for me is when I knew that I needed to pursue growth, personal and professional growth, and I took a leap of faith and I moved from one organisation to the other or from, you know, a lateral move um, just to pursue something different. Interesting, yeah. So that kind of taking a few risks with mm. your career, which then paid dividends. Yep. And, and what are, you know, some of the, you know, I think you've sort of outlined that. What, what is the kind of business impact of your role um, within... ASIC and within the broader community? So to sort of answer the question in terms of business impact is to sort of say what does success look like for mm. my role? Um, and coming from an enforcement perspective, success is not about heads on stick, putting people in jail only. It is more about, from an enforcement perspective, about changing behaviour because fundamentally what enforcement does is to change behaviour to drive good customer outcomes and investor outcomes. So I don't look as enforcement as a panacea to misconduct but it's something that's integral to changing the wider human behaviour. So if we find changes in human behaviour that is what success looks like for enforcement. That's, that's great. So let's, let's get more into the enforcement function overall. Can you, can you sort of explain um, what, what markets you cover, size of the team, and what are your sort of responsibilities within enforcement? Okay. So um, as head of markets, I'm responsible for the misconduct in relation to the equities market, so the share market. Uh, on listed platforms, as well as the over-the-counter market. So that means um, bank bills, swap trading, OTC derivatives, products that are not regulated on exchange-traded platforms. So a huge um, spectrum of 
a market. And FX as well. And FX yep. as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of that sort of, um, you know, I think gr- roughly if you could just characterize equity and fixed income commodities and currency. Yep. So that's what I am responsible for to ensure that any misconduct in this sphere is dealt with efficiently. Mm-hmm. So how my team is structured is I have uh, a national team. I have a team largely based in um, Sydney and Melbourne. Um, and the team comprises very skilled people from all sorts of backgrounds and uh, lawyers, investigators, and increasingly and importantly, people with diverse skills that are data analytic skills. Because that is actually a key sort of skill that is needed in a market that's increasingly more complex and data-driven. Yeah, I look forward to uh, understanding a bit more about that. So what's the, what's the size of the team? So generally my team uh, is about 50 to 80 people. And I say, and you're probably wondering, how does your team just so grow so much? <laughs> it's sort of to deal with sort of project-specific work right. that is specifically funded. So, for example, in the BBSW litigation, we had a very huge team. And then it would be at the high end of the uh, full-time employees that we typically have, so in the 80s. Right. Yeah. Um, and so at the moment then, I mean, you've talked about it's a really broad um, and quite complex, you know, range of markets that you're, that you're covering. Um, and you've got all kinds of different potential market abuse from insider trading as well as, as you said, you know, rates manipulation, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also then interaction with multiple other parties like, you know, the Australian Federal Police, for example, um, if you're looking at suspicious trading. So can you kind of explain to us what's that ecosystem that you're working in? Because that must be quite interesting as well in terms of how you have to operate. Yeah. Um, So we operate in an ecosystem where stakeholder engagement is key and critical to our success. And that is stakeholder engagement, not just with um, from the perspective of domestic regulators or uh, agencies, so the IFP, the ISX, but also from an international perspective, um, meaning uh, the overseas peer regulators, the FCI, the CFTC, the DOJ, the FBI. Um, so the ecosystem that we operate on from an international perspective is largely reliant on uh, the ability of ASIC to leverage off its uh, ISCO Memorandum of Understanding with its uh, overseas counterparts, a very, very effective tool in assisting from an enforcement perspective access to information and persons of interest. From a domestic sort of perspective, we work very closely with the IFP for some of our criminal investigation. We also continue to work closely uh, with other regulators, including ACCC uh, and APRA. So we all have our um, sort of sort of distinct portfolios of regulation, but there are areas of overlap. And in the circumstances of overlap, it's incumbent upon us to work very collaboratively and very actively together. And I imagine also, you know, then there's sort of that sharing of best yes. practice and, and looking at what the sort of next developments are. That's right. 
Um, so IOSCO is obviously then an important kind of forum as well to bring together all the mm. different regulators. Um, so what have been some of the more interesting investigations that you've worked on? Because you obviously had a few uh, recently that have been quite challenging and interesting. Um, there's a whole list of it. So the highlights would be one that sort of typically involves human behaviour and greed. Uh, so that I, I find that sort of investigation is pretty sort of riveting. Um, uh, I mentioned the Westpac BVSW litigation um, that culminated in a lump sum 15 million penalty and um, cost and voluntary contribution to ASIC. Uh, so that was a very successful litigation where the banks were, felt, uh, were held to be acting unconscionably. So that, that is a big win and a big highlight. Um, there are various other highlights that deal with market manipulation where CEOs are taken and held responsible for uh, market manipulation, including sort of um, um, where they have access information um, that is not generally available. Um, so, you know, I've got a long list of highlights. Yeah. And, and when you're working, I mean, can you kind of give us a bit of a, what's a a day in the life of <laughs> in an enforcement sure. um, perspective, which I imagine varies a lot, but sort of what things do you focus on and how do you, sure. you know, work through these cases? Uh, I'm perhaps a little biased, but I think enforcement is the most exciting place to work. <laughs> um, a typical life in the day of an enforcement person would be that surveillance, so we have very sophisticated surveillance systems that monitor real-time the market. We have our MICE system. Surveillance may have an alert that sort of indicates suspicious activity trading uh, by potential insiders. They have worked it up to uh, an extent that they think requires enforcement outcome. They then contact my team and liaise with my team and our specialists would look at it. All of us would give input in terms of what is the uh, response to this? Is it an immediate response for which we could perhaps, uh, when profiling a suspect, decide that if there is an urgent need to disrupt the behaviour, the trading behaviour? And that could just mean that uh, our specialised enforcement officers may knock on a door of a suspicious trader, seize his computers, um, or uh, contact the IFP and start commencing uh, a search warrant exercise. So that's sort of typically a, 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 a life in the day of enforcement. It could be something that's picked up by the papers that talk about uh, uh, companies that have poor disclosure or have withhold information from the market. And it's not unusual for enforcement to be involved straight up, particularly if there's a market reaction where we will be on site approaching CEOs uh, or uh, persons of interest and immediately asking for uh, interviews. Interesting. So, I mean, obviously technology has a, has a huge, um, you know, part to play. And you mentioned, obviously, very sophisticated surveillance systems. You also mentioned that there was a lot of skills in the team from data analysts, for example. And then, and then you've still got, obviously the human elements of looking at what does that mean from a behavioural perspective, mm. etc. You also mentioned sort of the borderless nature that mm. we're now in. So I guess firstly, 
you know, press are obviously one of the things where you said that that could be a way that you're alerted to mm. some issues. What about whistleblowers and how are whistleblowers now mm. um, part of this whole, uh, you know, way that you're uncovering challenges in the market? So whistleblowers are an integral part of a source of intelligence um, for us as regulators to investigate and make appropriate inquiries of conduct of concern. So they remain a critical part of the ecosystem. There are some law reform proposals being progressed through the um, parliament that would actually extend the um, protection to whistleblowers and that can only assist in ensuring that we obtain the information that we require to assist our enforcement activities um, and in the same token give the protection to the whistleblowers for coming um, upfront and sort of uh, providing intelligence. Yeah, interesting because, yeah, I'd, I'd seen that and often, you know, you hear stories where whistleblowers aren't feeling that they're mm. protected enough, so that's very interesting. And I guess uh, in your enforcement report at the end of 2017, there was a statement around ASIC would pay particular attention to technology-enabled offending, cross-border conduct, which may compromise the market integrity of the global market and major banks' implementation of their enforceable undertakings in the foreign exchange business. So I think it's interesting and from that perspective of there's obviously technology-enabled systems like your sophisticated surveillance systems, but then you've also got um, technology-enabled offending. So that's really uh, quite a challenge as well. I mean, so how are you looking at both sides? What are you doing to, in a, to you know, investigate and understand more on the technology-enabled and how that's getting ahead of you? And then what kind of technology programs does ASIC itself have? Okay. Um, so in terms of technology-enabled offending, as you rightly pointed out, that is a focus. And why is that a focus? Is because we are increasingly, with access to technology, are finding ourselves in the space where people are using technology, say cyber intrusions and attacks, to, for example, access inside information and therefore then trade on the back of in, um, inside information. We have presently, in before the courts, um, the first insider trading um, indictment where a person has actually accessed an, in an unauthorised manner um, a computer device to access inside information. So very much in the sort of technology space. Mm. So as technology grows and is a promoter of fraud, it's also an enabler of misconduct. Yes. So technology-enabled offending yeah, is a pet um, sort of focus in my team uh, and in ASIC because we lead that work. Mm. So we're dealing with cyber hacking, intrusion, access to information and misconduct arising from that. It is a new sort of, relatively new sort of type of offending uh, that we have focused on. It's not new, it's been there for a while, but our focus is increasingly looking at that because there's really value in access to information. You know, for example, just stealing someone's identity and mm. using that to sort of uh, facilitate a fraudulent share transfer. 
that is increasingly a fo- and so technology in that space is an increasing focus for us. Yeah. Um, so that aspect of technology and naval offending has in, has to be balanced by technology resilience. So ASIC has uh, done a lot of work in terms of not only looking at cyber intrusions and data breaches, but also cyber resilience. They go hand in hand. And, and how do you work, because I imagine this, I mean, cyber is a huge global problem. Mm. So you then working with other global mm. regulators and mm. trying to stay that one step ahead, mm. which must be quite difficult. Difficult is probably an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is it is because it's sort of often, you know, it is the case. Our experience has shown people don't even know or realise they've been hacked or there has been an intrusion. Um, and often the intrusion uh, trigger or alert to us happens quite some time after the event. Um, then you lose the, uh, the, the, the valuable immediacy of access to evidence. Um, so it's increasingly important for us to partner um, with global regulators and also uh, domestic regulators that have a focus on cyber. Um, and that includes the IFP, and that includes some of the cyber centres that have uh, been set up in Canberra. Mm, interesting. And I mean, obviously, reg tech is a is a hot topic. So, mm. what are I mean? I imagine you guys are looking at a lot of different developments that are going on. What are some of the more interesting, you know, reg tech developments, whether they're in enforcement or not, just broadly in the uh, in the regulatory space? So, I think that um, from an enforcement perspective. You know, and, I, and it's not just from an enforcement, from a surveillance perspective. Some of the interesting reg tech that we are looking at internally and in-house and trying to build is our ability to draw connectivity points with large data sets. And that's the reg tech that even a large bank might find useful in terms of compliance monitoring. So typically, you know, communication uh, between traders, for example, and the patterning in those sort of communication and the uh, analysis of that communication pattern to trading to see whether or not there's outliers or red alerts uh, for uh, further inquiries to be made. So we're trialing in-house various internal tools to assist us to deal with larger, more complex data, to look for connectivity points from a person of interest and future sort of risk um, outliers. Yeah, and obviously a lot of that is unstructured data, which That's is a right. lot more difficult to work That's with right. than the structured data. That's right. Um, now, uh, the Royal Commission has obviously highlighted a lot of issues across banking and, and financial markets. So do we need more regulation and more enforcement? Um, I'll never say that um, that we would need less enforcement. I think that we always need enforcement. I suppose the, another way of answering the question is the Royal Commission, from ASIC's perspective, has not highlighted any largely new conduct risks that ASIC was not aware of or had not made inquiries. Um, so I think what the Royal Commission has done is to highlight some of these conduct issues. So ASIC will continue to take appropriate enforcement action. Um, following from the Royal Commission or in parallel with the Royal Commission. Excellent. Um, and so I guess 
looking forward then, what do you sort of see the impact overall? How do you see the industry sort of evolving and changing as you as you look to the future or kind of what's that aspiration that you would have? Because you mentioned at the start yeah. changes to human behaviour, for example. So the aspiration for the industry from my perspective is that I think that there is going to be a lot of real change that is required um, because there's always a cost to doing something wrong. And the consequence of that is that you need to change your behaviour. So I go back to sort of the same thing that when you do something wrong, there's a cost to it and you need to change behaviour. Yeah. So I think what the industry is going to face is to win back the trust and confidence yeah. of the regulated population in a real way. Yes. Yes, trust is certainly key and very key in financial markets. Yeah. Connecting, celebrating and championing women in risk regulation and compliance, Risky Women Radio takes an intimate look at the rants and revelations of the top women shaping the debate and the industry. Okay, change of pace now. We're going to go to our Risky Women rants and revelation, okay. my, my favourite section. Sure. So on your, let's start with your revelation and... I always think of this as the sort of advice you would have given to your younger self or, you know, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew then? I would have taken more risks. (laughs) (laughs) So more risks in your career, more risk in... Yeah, more risk in my career, more aggressive sort of decisions, uh, being more open to change not look for linear progression of remuneration, but have more agility to go lateral and look for growth. Fantastic. And if you now, what's your rant? You know, what's the, what's the thing that you wish that you could change or that would move quicker or be different? <laughs> move quicker. Um... From a personal perspective? Personal or career. I get a mix of both, actually, from people. Yeah. I I suppose from a personal perspective, from leading a team, what I would like to move more quickly is the upskilling of talent within my team Um, and the retention of talent. I don't think um, the you know the exigencies of the day-to-day um, workings of enforcement does not necessarily always lend itself to promoting consistently and actively the growth of talent. Excellent. Risky Women is a vibrant network at the centre of a global community in a rapidly growing, evolving, and influential industry. Given the continued pace of change, our Rapid Fire Round revisits the most pressing topics to share ideas and offer listeners new perspectives. Alrighty, so our final area, we go for our Rapid Fire Round, which is sort of just quick answers to a few key questions. Yep. 
So what's your one word to sum up the world from a governance risk and compliance perspective? One word would be, it's a world full of disruption. Disruption, mm -hmm. yes, indeed. And your top risk for 2018? Uh, cyber inclusions and technology. Right. And its impact. Yep. The cure for the cost of compliance. Return to the basic roots of doing the right thing by your customers and stakeholders. Excellent. And the biggest technology impact on compliance and risk? Um, and perhaps I'm quoting cyber too often, but it's cyber intrusion yep. and the protection of data. Yeah, data protection, absolutely. And what's your outlook for the year ahead? Are you optimistic, pessimistic or uncertain? <laughs> I'm an internal optimistic. <laughs> so I think that any challenge presents opportunity Excellent. and those have to be embraced. Excellent. That's fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Sharon, for being no our Risky Woman Regulator today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Rescue Women Radio to connect, champion and celebrate women in risk regulation and compliance. I'm Kimberly Cole, based in Hong Kong. For more information on the Risky Women Global Network, head to our website in the episode notes and please be a part of the ongoing conversation by subscribing to this podcast, connecting with us at Risky Women on Twitter, or even reaching out to me directly by email.